There was a time in world history where we celebrated people who did great things and we called them heroes. But in the media age that you and I live in, that's been transformed completely. And today we celebrate celebrities. We have celebrities instead of heroes. And when we go through the you know, checkout line or we get into TMZ or we look and you know, we pull up any site on the index page, we're like greeted with, with celebrities. In fact, I was just in my office looking at Forbes list of the top 100 celebrities, just in case you want to know number one, Beyonce is number one. And, and we just, we live in a generation in which we're focused on these people. And yet here's the thing, and I don't want to be unkind to anybody because all, every, every human being is important. But the, the big difference between a hero and a celebrity is if we lose a celebrity, it'll make the news. If we lose a hero, we're going to lose someone. We're going to lose something important. Because see, the thing that heroes do that makes them heroes is they help people. They do things that make a difference. Next weekend at New Spring, you're going to hear the story, a partial video of a New Springer. There are heroes out here today, right here. And, and, and one of our New Springers uh, was in a number of firefights, firefights in Iraq. In fact, he was in a sustained firefight, one that lasted longer than any. Should, he should never have lived, according to what you're going to hear next week. And he's got, he's got multiple injuries. In fact, he had another surgery last week. I see him in the hall, and I tell him all the time, you're one of my heroes, and he'll always say, I'm not a hero. I just did what I was supposed to do. I just did what I was asked to do. But that's who a hero is and what a hero does. Heroes do things that help people, and they do things that matter. And when we lose heroes, we have serious loss. Celebrities, on the other hand, well, celebrities are just celebrities, and they have what Salvador Dali said. They have their 15 minutes of fame. But here's what caused me to bring this series. In fact, I've been sitting on it, and I plan for this series to be our last January series. I'm watching a whole generation of kids grow up, and they're being channeled toward trying to be celebrities. They're celebrity, many of them are celebrity wannabes. And their attention is captivated by these people that, frankly, when, I, when you get right down to it, I'm not really sure they make very much difference in our world. And so my hope for you is that you'll not be a celebrity wannabe, but that instead you will choose to be a hero. In our story today, we're, well, actually in all this series, we're looking at five we're looking at five people who found themselves in difficult circumstances. Frankly, they're Jewish people who were all in captivity, but five of them rose to legendary status. Ladies, work with me for just a moment. How many times do you go to church and you hear a story about a hero and it's a guy? I don't know how it is, but it is. You know, Moses, Joshua, Joseph, David, on and on it goes. And it's just, there are a lot of heroes in the Bible. And, and I appreciate your kindness in adapting it to your circumstance and your situation. But today is a different day because our hero in our story is a woman. And she is an extraordinary woman. And in this story, this one woman will stand against all the power that the world can muster. And she will change, well, she will save her people and she will change the world. And even to this day, there is a, there's, a nation, there's a nation of people that celebrate a holiday in memory of her. She is, in every sense of the word, a hero and a legend. She is also in the Bible. And by the way, guys, I promise you, just like, just like the gals here have to adjust their circumstances when we have a male hero, I promise you, this lady has got a whole lot to teach all of us who are guys. Let's get our timetable set. And by the way, if you want to find her story in the Bible, and I would encourage you to do that because I, in 30 minutes now, cannot give you everything in this extraordinarily awesome book. I want to bring your attention to one of the two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. It is the book Esther. And let me just tell you a little bit about the backstory of it so that when we work into her story, it'll make sense. Esther is, Esther is born during the time of the captivity. But if you were here in the Nehemiah series, you remember that I told you that the Jews were in captivity for about 150 years, first to the Babylonians and then to the Persians. In the Nehemiah series, we learned that the Persians were fairly genteel as captors. 
And basically, a Persian king, before Esther was born, had told the Jewish people, you guys can go home. You don't have to stay here anymore. But Persia was a nice place to live. And there really wasn't a lot of persecution or, or, or you know, um, there, there wasn't a lot of pushback against different nationalities or bias or prejudice in those days. So a lot of the Jewish people were comfortable staying in Persia. And that's where we find Esther. And on top of that, a lot of Jews found themselves uh, in, in high positions of administration. So life was pretty good. Well, the king at the time, depending upon his historical name, we'll just call him Xerxes. He's known by other names. The king decided he wanted to throw a party to show everybody how wealthy he was. I don't know if you've ever been to a party that lasted longer than it should, but this is a party that lasted 180 days. Listen, when you can throw a party for a whole country for 180 days, you are rich. Now, this king, though, he ruled the whole world all the way from India to Ethiopia, which was the whole world in those days. And so he had the money to throw this party. But when it was all said and done, he wanted to throw one more party. He wanted to throw a seven-day bash for the people who lived in the capital city. And here's what he did. He opened up a buffet, 24-hour buffet, and an open bar. And if you read about this in, in Esther chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, By the edict of, king, of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. I should tell you this. The guys had their party that the king ran, and the gals had their party that Queen Vashti ran. Now, it was at the party that the guys had that the king said, here's the rule, no limits on drinking. Now, here's the thing. Work with me for a moment again. A seven-day party with a bunch of guys and no limits on drinking. How many of you know this is a bad idea <laughs> and bad things are going to happen? And so, you know, and, and, by the, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here today because you don't need to do this, but have any of you ever been at a party where guys drank too much and before long, one of them said, I have an idea. Uh, <laughs> You know, almost always, it's not going to be a good idea, right? It's going to be an idea that everybody's going to, when they sober up, say, what were we thinking? But the king said, I have an idea. And he said, I want the queen to come in here and show everybody how beauty, beautiful she is. Here's what he was asking for. He was asking for the queen of Persia, his wife, Vashti, to walk in there in front of a bunch of drunk men with nothing on but her crown. Can I just say something for a moment? This is not what my sermon is about, but in our information age and with all of our electronic devices, you know, it's inescapable in our culture today that a lot of people are sending explicit pictures of themselves. You know, well, maybe, maybe we could, this, this queen, she doesn't know God. She doesn't know anything about God's plan of redemption. Could, could we just take a page about personal dignity out of this? Because the queen said, I'm not about to do that. You know, I just don't understand. Why would a woman send a, a picture of herself naked to some stranger Texted on the, I don't know why, why, a person, why would a person so de, degrade themselves to do such a thing? Anyway, that's not my sermon. Vashti said, Vashti said, I'm not going to do it. Now, you got to realize, this is not 2014 in America. This is 2,500 years ago in Persia. And she has basically just flipped off the most important man in the world, her husband, drunk in front of all of his drinking buddies, entire town. I mean, he just said, by the command of the king of Persia, I want you to come in here wearing nothing but your crown. And Vashti said, mm-mm. I ain't going to do it. And about that time, all of, you know, the king's drinking buddies said, what are you going to do about that? Now, here's where you should meet our king. Our king is an emotional shoot from the hip kind of guy. He makes quick decisions, emotional decisions. That's going to be important to us later on. So the king calls in his top guy and says, what am I going to do about this? And, and, and ladies work with me. Have guys changed at all in 2,500 years? The, the guys get together and say, you know, I tell you what, king, if you don't do something about this, all the wives in the kingdom, when their husbands tell them to do something, they're going to say, uh-uh. And so you need to do something about this. And, and really, here's what you need to do. You need to fire the queen. 
You need to fire the queen. And on top of that, we need to write some legislation. Now, 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 now if, the idea, if the idea of telling guys they can drink as much as they want to over a seven-day period, if that's a bad idea, drunk guys writing legislation is even a dumber idea. But they decide they're going to do it. <laughs> they're going to write new rules. I mean, here they are, man, I've been drinking for seven days, and we're going to write some rules. We just fired the queen. And so uh, the, the Bible says in Esther 120, here's the legislation. When the decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere will receive proper respect from their wives. Here, here. And the king and his nobles throughout make, oh, excuse me, the king and his nobles thought this made good sense. You know, a lot of times when a person's very drunk, stuff will make good sense. It's not good sense. And he sent letters to all parts of the empire proclaiming, here's the legislation, here's the new law that all these drunk guys wrote, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler in his own home. And about that time, one guy says, hey, I'd like to put a rider on that because at my house, my wife tells me I can't say certain things. So they tacked this on and should say whatever he pleases. Now, again, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if anybody's ever been too drunk, done stupid things, have bad ideas when you're drunk, have you ever sobered up and thought, uh-oh? And the king got sober, and all of a sudden, he's missing his wife. He didn't have his queen. And so all the guys that were drunk with him, they thought, you know, we better do something about this because our shoot-from-the-hip emotional king, there's no telling what he's liable to do. So they decided what they were going to do is they're going to have the world's first reality show. They're going to have a beauty contest in Persia to select a new queen. And so... <laughs> Um, Josephus tells us there were 400 ent entries into this campaign. And, and I should also tell you that, that Esther has an uncle um, who has adopted her. And um, this uncle has is, is kind of coached Esther up. And he said, you know, there's no sense in us revealing our nationality. And, and, and so neither one of them does. But Esther enters the contest. And uh, ladies, I don't know very much about this. You, when you read this, you'll know a lot more about it than I do. But it's really interesting because for 12 months, these, these ladies prepared themselves to present themselves in this beauty contest. And six months, it seems to me, just from what I can read, and this is just a man talking. Ladies, you can sort this out and figure it out with sophistication. But for six months, it was like skincare, And then for six months, it was like makeup and fragrances. So this is like a six-month extreme makeover. And then after that point, they could pick any jewelry they wanted. They could pick any designer. You know, this would be like the lady that just died. I can't remember her name, asking, who are you wearing on the red carpet? Um, so th th that's, how this, that's how this was going to go down. But in any event, Esther won. And we read about this in Esther chapter 2, verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, now, let me just say, here is the quintessential definition of a celebrity. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in her honor. Now, if, if you were given a national banquet in your honor, that's big. But look at this. Um, declared a public holiday. You know, how would you like to be a person that the whole nation celebrated a public holiday? That is major, I promise you. And then on top of that, they were giving gifts to each other. So this lady is so important that, and the king is so delighted with her that she's got the crown on her head. She is the new queen. And beyond that, it's, it's a public holiday and people have turned it into Christmas. It is just major. I mean, listen, you cannot check out in the Persian capital if you're taking your basket through the lane. Esther's picture is everywhere. Some People Magazine, In Touch, TMZ, it's everything. I mean, it's on National Enquirer. Every, every publication, you cannot get on the internet. Every index page has got her face on it. She is major. She is major. And what is interesting is that 
we see a young Jewish woman who is now queen of Persia. Well, oh, by the way, I, I should just read this. Her uncle, Mordecai, who works in security at the palace, he's got a security job there. He's still kind of coaching her up on, hey, let's not be too open about who we are. This is in, in Esther chapter 2, verse 19. Mordecai is a Polish official, but he, he and Esther continue to keep their family background and nationality a secret. There's an obscure event that happens about this point. If you read it, you wouldn't think it made a lot of difference. But let's just, let's just, let's, let's, let's follow it away because it's going to be real big in a few minutes. Mordecai, in his job as palace security, overhears a plot to kill the king by two more security guards. And he tells Esther about it, and, and Esther files a report, and they check it out. They determine that it's true that these two guys indeed want to kill the king, and so it gets entered into the National Archive that Mordecai, over, you know, in security, overheard a plot, and it's just put in the national records. Obscure story, just filed away. It'll matter later. Well, as, as we talked about heroes, we said that there are people in the world who are celebrity wannabes, and about this time we meet the quintessential celebrity wannabe, you ever know anybody that every time you think about them, you just almost see them puckered up because they spent their whole life kissing up to get to where they are? <laughs> well, there is a guy who's done this, and I read the book of Esther, which I so dearly love, and I read about this guy, and I read over and over about him, and as far as I can see, he doesn't have any talent in the world. He's not capable of doing anything. He's just good at kissing up. You know, I mean, he, he, knows, how to, he knows how to smooth to get ahead. And our king, who's a shoot-from-the-hip emotional kind of guy, he makes quick decisions. He promotes people real quickly. And unfortunately, this guy, Haman, gets promoted to where he is the top advisor of the king. Listen, if you saw Haman driving around in his Bentley and you figured out his personalized plates, it would be this message. I love me some me. That is Haman. He is the essential, he is essential celebrity wannabe. I love me some me. Haman is so in love with himself. And he's always like finding these rules that, that advance his own cause. And so he's worked it out with the kings that, that, that he feels like Haman is so important that whenever Haman goes downtown, everybody should bow down to him. If you were here last week, you heard Jonathan talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You understand that the, the Jewish people who were in captivity realized it was because of their idolatry that they were there and they wanted to go home. And so they weren't going to, they weren't going to flip God off by bowing down to, to other, other idol forces. And so when, when Haman, this worthless God wrote, everybody else was bowing down to him. He'd go by Mordecai, Mordecai stand like this. Somebody said, Mordecai, you're a little slow, man. You were supposed to, and I know that guy's not worth anything, but we're supposed to bow. Mordecai said, I'm not going to do it. Well, they go and they tell some of Haman's people. We don't know if you noticed or not, but that guy over in security at the palace, Mordecai, every time Haman goes by, he's standing up like this. And it makes Haman so mad. Let's read about this. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it would not be enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews. So Haman is prototypical of anti-Semitism. In fact, he is, he's, kind of a, he's kind of an archetype or prototype of Hitler. So it, Haman is so mad, it's not enough for him just to, to wipe Mordecai out. He wants to wipe everyone out who is Jewish. Well, he doesn't know, of course, that his queen is Jewish. Well, anyway, the edict went out that a year later it was going to happen. And Mordecai, who's working at the palace, he sees all the notices that one year from that date, all Jewish people are going to be executed. If you've studied history, or if you've studied scripture, if you studied Jewish history, you'll know that one of the ways that Jewish people in those days would reflect grief is that they would put on what we would call burlap today and put ashes on their head as a way to symbolize their mourning. 
I don't know. Esther, you got to realize, she had grown up pretty much in Persian culture. And, 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 and one, that's one of the things Mordecai was worried about, was that Esther might not grow up knowing, knowing her heritage. And, and so you sort of see this a little bit, because somebody came to the queen and said, I don't know if you know this one, but your uncle who works in security, he's not dressing well right now. And so Mordecai, and Esther's very concerned about this. She said, go to the palace gift shop, get him an Armani suit, some of those Italian loafers, and, and, and take him a real nice outfit. And, but you know, here's the thing. If you're, if you're troubled enough about something, new clothes, new houses, new cars, new money won't fix it. Isn't that right? And Mordecai sent back a message to Esther saying, listen, this isn't something that new clothes is going to fix. He said, you and I and all our people are under an edict to be destroyed. And baby, you need to do something about this. You not only know the king, you sleep with him. You need to go talk to the king and tell him what's going down. Esther said, I can't. I can't. See, here's the thing. Here's what makes our story so interesting. I think for many of us, you, life brings us to a little bit of celebrity. And we, and we have some stuff in life. And we come to a line where we're going to have to decide whether we're going to be a hero or not. And the thing about that, point, that decision point is we risk the celebrity aspect of it. And for Esther to go talk to the king, she was risking everything. And you and I need to understand something about Persian culture. The Persian king was considered so important that his schedule was guarded jealously. Nobody was to come in to see the king without being on his schedule. If they did, it was an act of treason. And for, as for many other things, you'd lose your head for that. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the biggest person in the kingdom. You walk in to see the king. You're not on his schedule. That is, that is tantamount to basically disrespecting the king. And Esther said, I can't. I, he hasn't sent for me in 30 days. And if I walk in there, you know what happened to the last queen. If I walk in there, I could lose everything. Guys, this is what this whole message is about. I want to come to two things that Mordecai said to Esther at this moment. And here's why I say these things to you. Life is going to bring you to center stage sometime, probably several times. But hear me well. Center stage is not what our whacked out culture thinks it is. Center stage is not coming to the place where you get all the attention with the light on you. That's not center stage. Let me tell you what center stage is. Center stage is when you're brought to a place where your words, your actions, your decisions impact the outcome and the, the well-being of a lot of people. And you're going to be there. And the thing about center stage is center stage is not for celebrities. Center stage is for heroes. And it's often not a time of fun because it's at a point of great risk. Have you ever been in a place where doing the right thing caused you to risk a whole lot? Saying the right thing caused you to risk a whole lot. Could cause you to risk a relationship, risk a job, maybe even risk your life, God forbid. But that's just what center stage is. Center stage is that place where you are placed strategically by life and by extension by God. And if you do the right thing, it could be expensive. The two things that Mordecai said to Esther at this moment light me up, and I hope it will light you up. Let's just read the whole thing, then we'll unpack the two things. And this is when Esther said, hey, I can't go see the king. Mordecai says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. But who knows? If you were brought to the palace for just such a time as this, Mordecai says two things to Esther that changed my life, and here they are. The first thing is, he says, Esther, if you don't do this, God will pick somebody else. Listen, our God is doing great things in the world today. 
It may not feel like it, but our God is doing great things in the world. He's a, he is, our God is right on schedule, and he's, a, he's accomplishing extraordinary things. And here's the big thing that I love. He wants to use you, and he wants to use me. He wants you and me to be co-laborers with him in changing the world. And because of that, he has a will and a plan for your life. And that plan is going to bring you just as it brought Esther to center stage. But here's the thing. We need to understand that our God is so big and he's doing such great things that if we refuse to step up, if we choke at a moment of destiny, God will say, I'm sorry, Mark, I wanted to use you, but I'm going to have to get you. You need to go sit on the bench and I'm going to use somebody else. Listen, I am convinced of this. I am convinced that if I am not the person God wants to be, if I am not doing what God wants me to do to lead New Spring Church, God will move me out of the way and put somebody here who will do it right. But I want to tell you something. I don't want to see somebody else running down the field with my football. I don't, I don't want somebody else to have my job. Listen, you know, you know <laughs> this is terrible. I shouldn't reveal this about myself. You know what will keep me up all night? I haven't bought it. My car's five years old. It's been a long time since I bought a car. But if I buy a car and I think I left money on the table, that will keep me up all night long. But I can afford to do that. Let me tell you what I can't afford to do. I can't afford to leave life on the table. If God has destiny for me, and I don't live up to that destiny, and I die, and I don't achieve that. See, that's what Mordecai was saying to Esther. He was saying, look, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. God will use somebody else. And then he said the same thing. But how do you know that you weren't brought to this moment? How do you know that you weren't brought to this place for this moment? I think about that in a couple of ways. Some of you here today, you're pretty well off. You've got... Nice money, you're not rich, maybe, but you got nice money, you have a nice home, you have a nice car, you got people that look up to you. You think God gave that to you so you could be a conspicuous consumer? You think God brought you to this place just to waste your life? Say, I do you mean waste my life, Mark? I got a parking space with my name on it. My life's not waste. No, that's celebrity junk. I'm talking about hero stuff, I'm talking about making a difference. You know, it's interesting. I brought this talk. I couldn't wait to bring this talk. I brought it to the junior high kids, and I brought it to the high school kids at camp. Junior high and high school, I preached an hour and 15 minutes. And they sat on the edge of their seat. You know, when I went to preach for junior high, I had people said, Mark, I'm praying for you as you talk to junior highs. Let me tell you, the junior highs have no problem with this. They get this real fast. The problem is talk to their parents. Do you think God gave you everything? you think God gave you your resources so that you could just... You know, be a conspicuous consumer. On the other hand, it could be that you're in a very difficult circumstance. It could be you saying, Mark, God can't use me. I'm just too, too, too broken right now. But here's the thing. Wherever you are today, and I'm going to let you, you, you need to fill in the blanks. I can only ask the question. You've got to give the answer. Where are you today? What is the place that you are in life? Where's your situation? How do you know God did not bring you to that situation for this moment? God has strategically placed you to change the world where you are. If it's good circumstances, if it's bad circumstances. Some of you have got circumstances that are bad. You didn't choose the fact that you now, you know, have stepchildren that you didn't have. But you know what? There you are. And how do you know that you weren't brought to this place for this moment? You, you say, Mark, I didn't choose this job. My job dried up and blew away, but now I'm doing this job I never saw myself doing. But how do you know that you weren't brought to this place for this moment? And I'm so glad that I don't know how long it took Esther, but Esther at this moment of destiny decided that she will do it. Now, let me tell you something. If you ever want to hear a hero talk, let me show you my favorite words in the book of Esther. Esther said, well, go find some people who know how to pray and fast, and I'll go see the king. Let me read it to you. I will go to the king, which is against the law. Here are my favorite words. These words light me up every, every time I read them. If I perish, I perish. 
Hey, have you ever done the right thing and said, hey, it's the right thing to do? If I die, I die doing the right thing. If I go down, I go down doing the right thing. If people don't like me, people don't like me doing the right thing. Now listen, I'm going to do the right thing, whatever it costs. And that's what Esther said. If I perish, I perish. Well, fortunately, God was all over this. King sees Esther coming in without permission. And he, his, you know, he's just, he's so in love with Esther. It's like, baby, I can't believe it's been 30 days. What am I thinking? You know, uh, come on in. What, what, what can I do for you? Now, here's the thing. Oh, I wish I had more time to talk. But many times when we, when we start out to do something heroic to follow God, we don't know how to do it. It's just like putting one foot in front of the other following God. And this is Esther. She's decided to go in and see the king, but she didn't know how to pull us off. So she's kind of just stalling for time. She says, um, you know, baby, I, I know you're very busy doing all this, all this king work, you know, and it's you know, just got to get you down. I'd love for you to just come over to my, my palace tonight. I'm going to make some, make some Mexican dinner and, and uh, just take your shoes off and sit back and relax and bring your boy Haman. You know, just, just three of us. We just said, king, oh, that sounds wonderful. So he goes and tells Haman, hey, you know what? Queen's invited you and me just to come over to her house for dinner tonight. And Haman is thinking, Haman, I love me some meat. He's thinking, boy, I'm bigger than I thought I was. I'm going to go have dinner with the king and queen. And so he goes over to Esther's house. They have, And so the king says after they've eaten, now, baby, what is it you want me to do? And, and Esther's still not sure how to go about this. You know, it's not, it's not clear yet. Esther said, well, I'll tell you what. You know what? Come back tomorrow night. I'll make Chinese. And um, we'll, we'll do this again. And the king says, that's great. So on the way out of the palace that, that first night, Haman is thinking, oh, I'm so big. I can't wait to get home and brag to my wife because, you know, the law says I can say anything I want to say at home. And so Haman is saying, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to tell my wife how big I am and how big this invitation was. And just he's walking down the palace, there's Mordecai. And you can, you, you can read it with me. You know, Haman goes home and he's telling his wife how big he is. He says, not all Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet. She prepared for us to eat. And, he's, and she's invited us to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. And then he added, but all this is worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just standing there at the palace gate. And his wife says, well, baby, you know, listen, you're just all worried about an unimportant guy. Now, depending upon your translation, she said, you need to kill him and kill him in a big way so that everybody will see. She either said... Construct a gallows 75 feet high and find out who my baby boomers are. If you saw the old Clint Eastwood movie, Hang Them High, that is what his wife, her wife, his wife was saying to him. Hang him on a gallows 75 feet high. Or, depending on the other translations, she said, get a 75-foot-tall pole with a sharp end and shish kebab him. Now, here's the thing. For years, it has freaked Bible students out that in the book of Esther, God's name is not mentioned. I think there's a reason for that. But I want to show you, I want to, if you want to see God in the book of Esther, I think it's in chapter 6, verse 1, where the Bible simply says, and this is the night after the first night, I don't know if it's the Mexican food or what, but the king couldn't sleep. Look at that. The king couldn't sleep. Now, you've got to understand that Haman's wife has just told him, you need to build a gallows 75 feet tall. Well, Haman knows that he can talk the king into doing this, but he still has to go through the the protocol of getting the king's permission. So here's what he does. He starts his carpenters working on the gallows, and he says, I'm going to go back to the palace. Maybe the king's awake. Maybe I can talk him into this. I'll see if he's awake. Go back over there. All this time, you know, if this was a movie, it'd be split screen. The king is in his bedroom. And he can't sleep. Now, I'll tell you what Morales and I do sometimes. If we can't sleep, a lot of times, we just put on an old movie that's really boring, you know, because it'll put us to sleep. 
Well, he said, I need something really boring to put me to sleep. Well, somebody go get the National Archives, because every time they read that to me, I go to sleep in meetings. Would you just bring the National Archive out? And so they bring it out, and they open it up. And guess where they open it up? They open it to the spot where Mordecai uncovers the plot. And the king sets up in bed, bolt upright, and he says, what, what do we do for him? Man, the man saved my life. We should do something for him. And they said, well, sir, there's no entry here. It just says he saved your life, and you didn't do anything. The king is saying, man, i got to fix that. I mean, God, I can't let a guy save my life and not do anything about it. And he hears a little rustling out there in the foyer, and he said, do I have one of my advisors out there? Oh, yes, sir. It's Haman. Oh, Haman, that's perfect. Bring him in. Bring him in. Bring him in. Well, Haman has come there to ask about the gallows, but he doesn't get a chance. The king said, Haman, i got, I got a big deal. i got a big question for you. There is a man in my kingdom that I love, and I want to honor him above everybody else. Tell me what I do to honor him. Just give me an idea of a way to honor this guy. Well, Haman, I love me some me. Haman's thinking, it's got to be me. Who else but me could he be talking about? Haman says, I get a chance to write my own check. He said, here's what I would do, sir. I would get your rolls, you know, the one with the top down and the insignia on the door and the flags on the front. He said, I would get my rolls, and I would put this guy in the back seat and stand him up, and I would get one of your main officials to go in front of him, have a parade all through the city, saying, this is the man the king delights to honor. And the king said, Haman, you are a genius. This is perfect. I want to do exactly that. Go find the guy, Mordecai, who stands in the palace to put him in the back seat of the car. And, and that official thing, that's beautiful, baby. You, you do that. You go in front of the parade and say, this is the... <laughs> you see what I was saying? You see God in chapter 6, verse 1, king can't sleep. So all day long before the second banquet... Haman's going around town saying, this is the man the king delights, the <laughs> one that just keeps dissing me. But he's the man the king delights on all day long. Listen, you ever have a really bad day and you say to yourself, it can't get any worse than this? That's a really dumb thing to say, isn't it? Because Haman goes home, he's got to change clothes because he's going to the queen's palace for a second night. And he tells his wife what happened. Now, if you just want me to give you the Hebrew translation for this, she says to him, baby, you're not just dead, you're so dead. I think I would scratch that gallows thing. I think I would just start pulling that down. But he didn't have time. So he goes to the banquet. Poor Haman, he's just sitting there thinking, man, this has been the worst day of my life. It can't get any worse than this. So after they have dinner, the king says, baby, to Esther, you are driving me crazy. My curiosity is just all over the page. What is this that you want me to do? I'll give it to you if it's half the kingdom. Now, listen, Esther is really smart. She knows that her husband has, it's very emotional. He's a shoot from the hip kind of guy. And she plays this perfectly. She says to him, I just want to live. I just want to live. There's, there's a guy in the kingdom that's wanting to take my life, and here's the perfectly part. She said, you know what? If he just wanted to make me a slave, I wouldn't bother you. I know how busy you are. I wouldn't even bother you with that if he just wanted to make me a slave, but he wants to kill me. Now, Esther understands the, the fiery rhetoric that she has installed in her husband because he's very emotional. And he said, who would dare kill my queen? What, what man in this kingdom thinks he's so important that he could murder my queen? And Esther said, Haman, that guy right there. <laughs> That's why I say you should never say it can't get any worse than this. Well, by that time, the king's blood pressure is hitting about 240 over 120. And he's just, he's apoplectic. He can't speak. He needs to go outside and catch some air so that he can come back and decide what to do with Haman. In the meantime, poor Haman does the only thing he can think of doing. 
Esther is lying semi-reclining on a couch, and Haman falls on the couch to beg for mercy. But when the king comes in, he misunderstands what's going on. And he says, will, the, will this man assault my wife in my presence? And the guards come in, and they take poor Haman. They put a sack on his head. They say, Haman, you shouldn't have to look at what's about to happen to you. <laughs> and again, the king, he's asking his advisors, what do we do with this guy? And they said, well, you know, he's building this gallows 75 feet high for Mordecai. And the king said, well, good. That gallows is going to have a purpose. Go out and hang Haman on it. And by the way, give Mordecai Haman's job. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of Esther. A few moments ago, I told you, I think there's a reason why the name of God's not in Esther. Tell you why. You and I tend, I think, to think that we're going to encounter God if we're on some sort of spiritual quest. For instance, if tomorrow morning you're going to get on an airplane and take a mission trip, you would expect to encounter God on that trip. That's one of the reasons why people take mission trips. And you would. That's good. But tomorrow morning, most of us will get up and we'll be going to work in a place that's not perhaps populated by God followers. And just a very ordinary situation. And you and I tend to think that God doesn't show up in that. And I think God gave us a book, didn't even put his name in the book, to show us that in the ordinary situations of life, that our God is there and he's at work. And he's looking for heroes who will cross the line from celebrity. And instead of saying, I love me some me, and it's all about me. Heroes who will do the right thing, whatever the cost. And he's looking for heroes so that he can do his work through them. And my prayer is that you and I will choose that. Well, listen, I'm through. You know, there's a beautiful kind of a picture of Jesus in the story of Esther. Because as Esther went to the king to intercede for her people to save their lives, Jesus has done the same thing for you and me. Because you and I are condemned. Not, not by someone like Haman. We're, we're condemned because of our sins. But Jesus went to the Father on our behalf. And the way he went to the Father was by dying on the cross to pay for our sins, to move our sins out of the way. And Scripture tells us that the blood that came out of Jesus was a currency that paid for all our sins. So that we could be, like Esther's people, saved. But not just saved in this life, saved forever. Can I just ask you a question as I, as I close to talk today? Do you know for sure that you have a relationship with God? Well, the way to have that is to commit your life to him and to realize that God's not looking for you to be a good person because none of us is. I mean, good in God's sight is perfect. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. God is looking for you to accept his plan. He's looking for you to accept his son. So I'm going to pray a prayer with you here today. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, you can. It's not important that you say these exact words. The important thing is that you just commit your life to God and realize that God offers you the gift of forgiveness and everlasting life. Pray the prayer with me if you want to, and I'll pray it slowly. The important thing is that you own the words or own the meaning. Let's go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I break your laws. I live selfishly. And I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe you made a way for me to have a relationship with you. 
and that way is through your son Jesus. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose in the grave. And I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. I receive your gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Gosh, that was so quick. But when you came in, you got to talk to us, card. And, and just as you fear a first-time guest, you can go back and get the gift at our, at, our, at, our, at our guest center. But if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you take that card and say, just check the box, say, I pray with Mark, and take it back to guest services. They want to give you a, a packet that's got a DVD and a book that I wrote and a Bible. And please come get that. I promise you, nobody has to stalk you or ask you any questions. We just want to give it to you. Please come back to guest services. And all you need to say, even if you don't have your card, just say, I pray with Mark. That's all you need. Pray with Mark. And they'll give that to you today. Thanks for being here. We'll, we'll, we'll take this series to number four next week. God bless you. Soon.